you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Acts chapter 16, uh, beginning here in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. You may be seated. Father, we are mindful this morning of, of your incredible grace in giving us these, these verses in, in your word. Lord, we are, are thankful for the work that you did in, in the early church to, to strengthen and establish that church, and we pray that you would do the same in, in our church, in our local church. We're trusting that the same Spirit who is at work in the lives of, of these believers will be at work in our lives, that the same ministry of gospel proclamation that you called your saints to in the first century that we also can engage in uh, through your power and through your strength. We pray just for our time of looking at your word that you would cause our hearts to be sensitive, to be soft, to be open. We pray that we would endure the things you've called us to endure for the sake of your name, for your glory. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, uh, my sister and her husband and their kids, uh, a three-year-old little boy, my three-year-old little nephew, and twin two-year-old nieces, uh, they all came for a visit, and we just had a, a, a great time with them. It was so fun and getting to spend time with their kids. Their kids had never uh, been here in central Illinois before, and so it was just a, we had a great time uh, talking with them and, and catching up and, and just being able to, to do things together. Uh, on the downside, we all got COVID. Um, so my sister and I are de still debating about who gave who COVID, uh, but just between us, I'm pretty sure we gave it to her and her family, but, um, hope, but I want them to come back, so I don't want to talk about that uh, too much. But uh, there's, there's, uh, it was joyous on a lot of different fronts, so grateful to the Lord for that, that time with them. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law went away for a night, and so Whitney and I were able to watch just the, the little girls and our little nephew, and um, it was just, it was sweet on a lot of different levels, very beneficial on a lot of levels. One level, just sermon illustrations. Uh, I mean, I'm in a dry spell, got to be honest. I'm, in that, I'm at that age where your kids are too old to be cute any longer, no offense, and uh, I don't have grandkids yet, so I'm in a dry spell. And so just a lot of time with a little uh, three-year-old and a couple two-year-olds, and so it's, I, I'm good to go for the next year, just uh, 24 hours with them. And one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that my little niece Ella did it was super cute. She would uh, she'd walk around the house, and she would, she would see something, and she would get super excited. It would be a toy or a book, and she would, she would pick it up, and she would just hold it in her hands, and there would be this, this moment of realization in her face, like the, the universe is a, a wondrous place, and I'm, I'm holding this, this toy, 
and, and then she'd just call out, she'd, just, she'd look at me, she'd go, look at me, or ook at me, ook at me, and, and she'd just look, look at, like, enjoy the, the glory that, that I'm experiencing right now in holding this toy, until she would see what her sister had, and then it would be, look at her, and she'd grab it. But there was just that moment of, look at me, look at, look at me, look at me, and it was super cute, very adorable, and, and it's, it's understandable, I think, for a, a two-year-old to have a very uh, self-centered view of the universe, right? So the universe is good because I have something I want, and I want you to look at me and experience the joy that is this universe with me because I have this thing. So look at me, look at me. Very understandable in a two-year-old. Now, what's cute in a two-year-old is, uh, is, is tiresome in an elementary age student, right? And it's it's intolerable in a teenager, you know. So if my, if my kids came into the, the room saying, look at me, look at me, I would assume they were either, either on fire uh, <laughs> or there was some sort of conversation we needed to have about not being so self-centered, right? But it's cute in a two-year-old. Look at me, look at me. But as we mature, we don't call others to look at ourselves more and more, well, at least explicitly. We look more and more at, at other people and are aware of, of the world around us. And it's not true just as we mature physically, but as we mature spiritually as well, what should happen? More and more as we mature spiritually, it's, it's much less about look at me, look at me. It's much more about let, let me look at others and see the needs that others have and, and let me ultimately look to Christ and call others to not look at me, but to look to Christ. Because what happens as we mature spiritually is, it is it's impossible for us to grow in Christ and, and to grow in our, our love for God and his glory and simultaneously grow in our love for ourselves and our own glory. In other words, as, as my, my passion for God's glory increases, it's inevitable that my, my passion for my own glory must decrease, that those, those things have to go together. I can't love my own glory and God's glory Simultaneously, the more I love God and want to see him glorified, the less I have desire to see myself glorified. And God in his grace, God in his grace brings us over and over again to, to like forks in the road in the Christian life. Where we must choose between God's glory and our own glory. He brings us to those those, those forks in the road in our, in our marriages. Okay, I'm either going to glorify God or I'm going to glorify myself, and I have to choose to glorify God in this, in this marriage. It, it, it happens in our, our work. We're, we're called to the workplace, and we're, we're in, in our jobs. And Okay, I'm either going to glorify God with these decisions or I'm going to glorify self. God's going to be exalted or I'm going to be exalted. We can't both be exalted in this situation. I've, I've got to make a decision here. In our in our friendships, in our gospel conversations, I got to either decide to glorify God and exalt his name, proclaim Christ, proclaim Christ or I'm going to proclaim and exalt myself. I, I can't do both simultaneously. God calls us to glorify him also through, through sacrifice. He brings us to these, these times, okay, you're either going to sacrifice of yourself, look to others, and glorify my name, or we're going to refuse to sacrifice and, and exalt ourselves. This morning, 
we're looking at a text where something kind of strange happens. In chapter 15, we saw that Paul is, is very against forcing the Gentiles to be circumcised. And now we come to chapter 16, and the fir- one of the first things he does in chapter 16 is he has Timothy get circumcised. And, and the question is, is why? Why is Paul so seemingly inconsistent? Why would he be so against circumcision in chapter 15 in the book of Galatians is written during chapter 15? Or, and then now he, he gets Timothy circumcised. What's, what's happening here? What's happening here is that Paul is focused on the gospel. He's passionate about the proclamation of, of the gospel. And the sacrifice that he calls Timothy to make, not only here but throughout the book of Acts that he calls others to make as well, is all about the proclamation of the gospel. In fact, here's the main idea that I want us to think about together this morning as we look at, at this text. A willingness to humble ourselves and sacrifice for others leads us to deeper and more joyful ministry for the Lord. A willingness to humble ourselves and sacrifice for others leads us to deeper and more joyful ministry for the Lord. What we see is that Acts 15 and Acts 16 are are not contradicting one another. Both in Acts 15 and in Acts 16, Paul's laser-like focus is gospel proclamation. And the way that he engages in gospel proclamation in Acts chapter 16 and encourages Timothy to do the same is through sacrifice, through considering the needs of others as we engage in ministry. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at kind of three things. I want us to look at this potential gift that Timothy has, and then I want us to look at a, an obstacle removed, and then I want us to, to think about the fruitful ministry that, that Timothy begins to have. So let's first of all, let's first of all talk about a potential gift. And look at the text with me, verses 1 through 3, as, as we look at this ministry that Timothy has, and Paul sees Timothy's potential as he encounters him here in Acts chapter 16. Now remember where we've been. Look at your Bibles with me, if you would. And remember where we've been. Remember at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have this desire to go back into the southern Galatia region and, and proclaim the gospel to these, or to, to see how the churches are doing that they had proclaimed the gospel to before. And, and now uh, there's that falling out between Paul and, and Barnabas, and Paul takes Silas, and he begins to go back to these areas that he and Barnabas had been in before. Now, the first missionary journey, remember what happens. Paul and Barnabas are, are there in Antioch, and they, they sail into Cyprus, and they come up from Cyprus, and they go into the southern Galicia, southern Galicia region, kind of from the south, and then they go from, from west to east, right? Well, this time, look at the text. It tells us this. It says, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and, and what they're doing this time is... Uh, Paul and Silas have come from Antioch, and they're going up through. We saw this at the end of chapter 15. They're going north, and they're going from the, from the, uh, from the east to the west. Okay, So they're kind of traveling in the opposite direction that Paul and Barnabas went through the first time. As they kind of, Paul and Barnabas, remember, they go west to east, and then they kind of go back through that same area as they come back in the first missionary journey. This time, they're coming from the, from the south and going from the east to the west, and they come to the southern Galatia region, and it says they came to Derby and to Lystra, and Timothy is there in Lystra. Now, remember what happened to Paul the first time he goes to Lystra. Remember what happened? 
He's proclaiming the gospel, and he ends up getting, running afoul of the, the Jews there, and they stir up these, these people against him, and he's left for dead outside the town as they, they stone him. And now he'd gone back through that region at the end of the first missionary journey. Now he's coming back to that region again, and he hears about this disciple named Timothy. If you look at the text, you see that there's, there's three things that Luke tells us about Timothy. First of all, it says that he was the son of a, a Jewish woman. Uh, this means that, that Timothy is Jewish. That's the first thing that we, we encounter, that his mother is Jewish. And we hear about his mother other places in Scripture. For example, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And so Timothy has this Jewish mother who's a believer. He also has a Jewish grandmother who's a believer, and that's the first thing we see. He also tells us, Luke does, about Timothy, that he's the son of a Greek father. His father is a Gentile. Now, mixed marriages between Jews and Gentiles would not have been condoned by Jews during this time, but the further you get from Jerusalem, and they're, they're a little bit removed from Jerusalem, of course, the more common the practice was. So Timothy's father is, is a Gentile. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The third thing, though, that we see about Timothy is what? It says that he's, verse 2, well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul comes into this region, and he keeps hearing people talk about this, this young guy, Timothy, maybe in his, his early 20s at this point. He hears that Timothy is a believer. He hears that he's a good teacher. He's, he, he hears that he's passionate about God and, and his glory. And Paul has a desire to use Timothy for gospel proclamation. In fact, one of the hallmarks of the relationship that Paul has with Timothy is going to be that, that Paul continually calls Timothy to, to deeper and more faithful ministry to, to, to realize his potential. So, for example, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul is going to tell Timothy in chapter 4, don't neglect the gift you have. Watch your life and, and your, your doctrine closely. Guard the gift, he'll say in chapter 5. Paul is anxious to see Timothy, and really others throughout the New Testament, we see this as well. Paul is anxious to see Timothy and others realize the, the potential that they have to do incredible things for God and his glory. There's a potential here that Timothy has. And Paul is excited about this potential gift to the church and the mission. As believers, as we look at one another, we should see potential gifts to the church and to the cause of gospel proclamation. And we should be continually reminding one another of the potential that we have in Christ to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. When I was in, in seminary, I read a, a biography of, of D.L. Moody. And one of the things that really struck me about Moody's life was just his, his boldness in calling other Christians to deeper ministry. I can remember thinking 
I mean, I could never be that, that bold, the, the boldness that Moody had. I remember that maybe you've heard the story before of, of Moody and his, his partner, uh, Ira Sankey. Ira Sankey was the songwriter and singer who accompanied Moody on his evangelistic meetings and, and, and so forth. But uh, Sankey, Ira Sankey was actually, when Moody met him, he was a young man. He was from a wealthy family. And in the late 1860s, Sankey had all of these things going for him. He was, he was doing really well. He had a young wife. He had a young child. He was uh, on a promising career as, as a clerk in the treasury. I mean, he was just doing some, some amazing things. He was, he was in Indianapolis. He, his wife was from a prominent family. He was from a prominent family. From a career standpoint, from a life standpoint, things were going really well for him. In 1870, Moody came to Indianapolis, and it was one morning, it was like 7 a.m., Moody went to a prayer meeting at an Indianapolis YMCA. And you can imagine 7 a.m. at a prayer meeting, it was a little lethargic. You know, people were not quite getting going there at 7 a.m. There was some singing, but it was kind of, you know, uh, it's kind of not, not, not great singing maybe. And someone grabs Sankey and says, hey, why don't, why don't you lead the, the singing? And, and Sankey had a reputation for really being able to get people going. So Sankey gets up there, and he, he kind of leads this rousing time of singing. And, and Moody says, I've, I've got to meet that guy. He walks up to Sankey, and he says, look, you need to quit your job, move to Chicago, and, and let's partner together. Right? And Sankey goes, say, say what now? <laughs> but he does. And, and that's Moody's boldness, seeing a person who has this incredible potential. And, and in fact, millions of people would attend their evangelistic service over the next, services over the next decades. And, and millions more would sing Sankey's songs. And you, you think about all those things. Only eternity is going to tell us the, the full impact of, of that ministry. And it begins with Moody's boldness and seeing someone's potential and saying, look, this is, this is the potential you have to do kingdom work. Now, I want to be bold like that this morning. Your life is going to be quite short, right? And by God's grace, we have this incredible potential to, to live lives now in the moment that will, that will reverberate in, into eternity. I know if, if you had the same experience this morning, but this morning I just hear this the roar, the, the, the kind of roar of the thunder, right? Kind of this... The, that beautiful sound as you get up and kind of hear the, the world going. I had this, this thought as, you, as I heard the thunder this morning. I thought, what, what's it going to sound like when, when Christ returns? And then you kind of begin thinking, okay, what if he's returning right now? And, and, and how have I failed? If, if the Lord were to return right now, am, am I ready, not just for myself, but for the people that God has given me to shepherd? Have I, have I done a good job calling them? Look, you have potential. Don't waste it. There's this incredible opportunity to live a life of glory for, for the Lord. And if you think about Moody and Sankey's life, I mean, they've, they've had books written about them, and I don't, I don't mean this rudely to you, but you're probably, we are probably not going to have books written about our lives. However, in terms of eternal impact, whatever impact Moody and Sankey had in this life, you and I have the opportunity to have an impact of a far greater into eternity than Sankey and Moody had in, in this life. In other words, the, the amount of, of eternal benefit that your life can, can yield is beyond our ability to comprehend. 
My prayer for you is the same prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says, as he's talking to the people in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and listen to this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. By God's grace, as I look out in this room this morning, I see lives of incredible potential impact for the eternal benefit of, the, of, of, of ourselves, one another, and ultimately for the proclamation of the glory of God. There's incredible opportunity in this room. God in his grace has given us the Holy Spirit. We have spiritual gifts that we can use for the building up of one another that will yield fruit into eternity. We can proclaim the gospel in the people's lives and see them worshiping God for eternity. There's a potential gift that exists. Now, there's a potential gift here in these verses. And in chapter 16 that we're in, Verse 4, we see that gift begin to be realized. But there's something that happens in between the potential and the realization of that gift. And the same is true for you and me. We have this potential. I believe in God. God in his grace is going to allow us to experience the, the benefit of that potential, the, to realize that potential. But there's, there's an inevitable step. You don't get, to verse, you don't get from verse 2 to verse 4 without verse 3. And verse 3 It's about sacrifice. Here's the second thing I want us to look at then. Number two, an obstacle removed. There's an obstacle to Timothy's ministry that that needs to be dealt with. It says, the last part of verse three, Paul wants to take Timothy and says, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was was a Greek. Now you say, whoa, 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 Daniel. Looking at my Bible here, one of the beauties of expository preaching, we've we've been in chapter 15 for a while. You say, Daniel, chapter 15 was all about don't circumcise the Gentiles. I mean, there was a a big deal. Chapter 15, uh, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. They they were sticking to their guns. You come to verse 6. They go go all the way down to Jerusalem. It says in verse 7, there had been much debate. This was a big deal. They write a letter and they they send it out to the churches. This is all about not not forcing Gentiles to get circumcised. Now you open up my my Bible here and suddenly they're getting circumcised. I I think about Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes Galatians chapter 5 at the beginning of Acts 15, I think, and he says in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, look, I, Paul, this is the same guy, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Say, what? If I accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage? I testify again, just in case you missed it, Paul says in verse 3 of Galatians 5, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, what gives? Paul is, is adamant that you don't circumcise the Gentiles. He, he has a big debate about it in Acts 15. He writes Galatians 5, Christ is of no advantage to you if you accept circumcision. 
hey, Timothy, let's go get circumcised. What's the because? What's the reason? Look what it says about the because in verse 3. It says, he did it because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, how did they know that Timothy wasn't circumcised? Well, the beginning of the chapter tells us that everyone, everyone knew that his, in the area that his father was Greek and his, his mother was Jewish. I told you that because Timothy's mother was Jewish, that made Timothy Jewish. But really, more accurately, as the Jews looked at Timothy, they didn't see a, a, a Jew in good standing. As the Jews in that area looked at Timothy, they saw an apostate Jew, a Jew who had, had fallen away from, from, from being a Jew because he hadn't been circumcised. So when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to saying, okay, these, these Gentiles need to, to get circumcised to be truly part of the church, Paul's going to say, absolutely not. We are, that's going to undermine the gospel. But what's going to happen here with Timothy is, is Timothy is not going to be welcomed by many Jews. He's not going to have the opportunity to go into synagogues and proclaim uh, the gospel. And so Paul says, look, here's this obstacle to the gospel. Let's take care of it. There's also a possibility that believing Jews would have come to, to Paul and say, look, 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 we understand the Gentiles don't need to get, cir- get circumcised. We understand that you're pr- uh, preserving their culture. You have respect for their culture. You're not saying you have to become culturally Jew. But, but what about our culture? Don't, don't you respect the Jewish culture as well? And Paul's like, look, look, this is not a big deal in terms of our ultimate objective of proclaiming the gospel. Let's just take care of this. And so he has Timothy circumcised. If it was a gospel issue, if it was, if it was a matter of, of believing that circumcision brought a person in a relationship with God, Paul was adamant. No, no, no circumcision. But when it's, a, when it's a cultural issue, when it's an obstacle to gospel proclamation, let's do it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get rid of the obstacle. The potential conflict that's brewing here, if Timothy isn't circumcised, is great. And Paul says, look, we're gonna, we want you in these circles among the Jews. We want you to not be viewed with suspicion. And so let's, let's just take care of this. It's a laying down of Timothy's rights and sacrificing for the benefit of ministry. There, there's two principles here that, that if you don't grasp, your ministry is going to be greatly hindered. Your, your ability to, to glorify God in your ministry. Paul understands these, these two principles. The, the first principle is, look, if compromise hinders the gospel, I cannot compromise. So where compromise of, of my morals or compromise of, of, of how I live is going to hinder the gospel, I can absolutely not compromise. Paul cannot compromise on the issue of circumcision when it comes to the Gentiles because it will undermine the gospel. So when compromise hinders the gospel, no compromise. But, and, and many Christians Evangelical Christians today grasp that second one, but there's, an also, there's a secondary principle that is also crucial to understand if you're going to be fruitful for ministry to the Lord. And that second principle is when sacrifice, when sacrifice furthers the gospel, I must sacrifice. So when compromise hinders the gospel, no compromise. Doctrinally, first-tier issues, no compromise. But when sacrifice is going to advance the gospel, I must sacrifice. 
Because my overarching desire is not for my, my own benefit. It's not look at me, look at me, or ook at me, ook at me. I'm not some sort of immature spiritual baby. My, my passion is look at Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ. Timothy doesn't have to be circumcised to be right before God. But there was a greatness to his ministry that couldn't be experienced apart from sacrifice, a laying down of his life in the service of others. Only in this manner could he display the value of Christ to others. It's not just Timothy, by the way, who makes sacrifices here, right? Timothy's from Lystra. Remember what happened the first time that Paul had had gone through Lystra? It's presumably on that first missionary journey that Timothy's mom and, and grandmother hear the gospel and place their faith in Christ. And remember what they, what they saw? They saw the person who came through Lystra, Paul and, and Barnabas. They, they saw Paul proclaim the gospel and get stoned and left outside the, the city for dead. Now the same guy comes back through the region and sees their son, who's this, this, this amazing person who loves the Lord, and this same guy who, who got left outside the city for dead says, I'd like your son to come with me and gospel proclamation ministry. You're, you're a parent. Last guy who comes through Washington, Illinois, gets taken outside the city, stoned, left for dead. So comes back through the area and says, hey, let me, let me grab your child and have them endure this ministry with me. What, what do you say? I want to spend some time meditating on what this crucial step of the Christian looks, lo- looks like for you and me, this, 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 this crucial step of sacrifice. We have this potential for a fruitful ministry, but we don't get from the potential to the fruitful ministry apart from, from the step of sacrifice. And the sacrifice that God calls you to make, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to look different for each of you. Some of us are going to have to pay for the, the privilege of proclaiming the gospel with, with, by giving up our ease of life. Some of us are going to pay with our careers. Some of us with our popularity or, or friendship. Some of us, some of us are going to have to, by, by God's grace, be called to, to lay down our rights. I want to talk about that just for a moment. About laying down our rights. Because we are in a culture that loves talking about our rights right? We love it. Everybody's got rights. And we do, by God's grace, have some rights. But when Paul talks about his rights, 1 Corinthians 9, he's using the word rights to describe the, the, the power to do something, the ability to do something. So, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about his rights. Like, I have the ability to, to accomplish something, or I'm in a situation, I can, I can assert my right, I can assert my, my power, and I can achieve the end that I want. But Paul says over and over again, I, I don't assert that right. So you and I have rights as well. Maybe, we have, maybe we're in a situation where we have a legal right to something. Or we're in a relationship with someone, we have a relational right, like we're a, a parent and our, our child, we look, I have the right to kind of expect this from you, or, or maybe we're just, um, we're in, a, we're in a, uh, a family relationship and 
we have the, like, just the right of fairness. Like, hey, last time you did the dishes, or last time I did the dishes, it's your turn to, to do the dishes. It's my right to kind of expect that of you. Whatever, the, the idea of right implies this idea that I'm in, a, I'm in a position where I could exert my will and I, I'd have the ability to get you to do something that I desired you to do. Or I could, I could assert my way. And what I want us to grasp is, is that you would be hard-pressed to find a person in Scripture who did great things for the Lord but didn't lay down their rights. Your rights are given to you not in order to force others to treat you in a certain way. God has given you rights to advance the gospel, often by laying down those rights in the service of others. Let me read two passages and, and draw out some principles here. One is from 1 Corinthians 9. Again, Paul, Paul is, is, is talking about his critics who say you're not a real apostle maybe because you're not asserting your, right, asserting your rights. And he says this in verse 4. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And then he goes on in verse 11, if we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? In other words, we have a right to expect physical things as well as we proclaim the gospel. If, if others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have, listen to this, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, look, I, I have the right to, to these things, but I would rather endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though I'm free to all, he says in verse 19, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not my, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings." Paul understands the idea of potential ministry. He understands the idea of fruitful ministry. He understands that you don't get from potential to fruit without sacrifice. And Paul says, look, I have these rights, and, and what am I going to do with these rights? Am I going to hoard them and, and throw them out to people? No, I'm, I'm going to lay them down for the sake of the gospel. Paul's rights, our rights, aren't something we throw in the face of an unbelieving world saying, you must treat me this way, you must respect me. They are things that we lay down at times in order to reach others for the gospel. Jesus would say, would say, Paul would say this about Jesus in Philippians 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, 
So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Now, if Christ could lay down his life, could not assert his rights, can we not imitate our Savior and, and, and do the same and humble ourselves so that his name can be exalted in our lives as well? This runs counterculture, countercultural. It's countercultural to the political world in which we live. It's countercultural to the religious currents in many places in our society. Everyone's demanding their rights. Everyone's furious at others for not respecting their rights. We have the opportunity to sacrifice of our rights for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, let me give some principles here to think about because I'm sure there's some questions. I'm not going to get completely into this, but, but a couple, couple principles. One, we, we don't lay down our rights when it would undermine the gospel, Right? We don't, under, under, we don't lay down our rights when we undermine the gospel. And there's some situations where, like with, with Titus in, in Galatians, Paul doesn't have him circumcised because he, he preserves that right because it's going to preserve the gospel. Another kind of caveat here, another principle, we don't lay down our rights when it might lead to causing others significant harm. Okay, So now, what's significant harm? There's a lot we could kind of nuance here, but I, I don't mean... I don't mean we avoid inconveniencing others. So I don't lay down my rights if it's going to cause others significant harm, but, but I'm willing to let others be inconvenienced as I lay down my rights. So for example, uh, when I come to the church throughout the week or, or on Sunday morning, well, on Sunday morning, oftentimes I'll see, I'll see kids coming in with, with their parents, and their parents are here to, to serve the church on a Sunday morning. Now, Parents of, of young children have, have the right to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come at a certain time to be involved in ministry. It's too early. But they, they come, and, and their, kids, uh, their kids are coming with them, and their kids are kind of inconvenienced by that. Now, it's often really cool times with, with the kids. Had, I always loved, had a good conversation with some kids this morning who were here early serving. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's good, but it's also inconvenient, right? So... We're willing to inconvenience others as we lay down our rights, but we recognize sometimes laying down our rights is going to cause others significant harm, and so we're not going to do it. So, for example, uh, I'm not going to. I'm going to try to assert the rights of those who are weak in society. I'm going to advocate for their legal rights. I think of the unborn or the disadvantaged segments of the population. And in these situations, we're going to assert our rights to prevent harm from happening to others. Okay, but but what about this? You say, okay, hold on. Do I have to lay down my rights if it's something important to me? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Oftentimes we will. So that's another principle. We may need to lay down our rights when it's something important to us. Paul says, look, uh, I've laid down my right to have a wife. It's important. Pretty glad I have a wife. But sometimes we need to lay down rights that are important to us for the sake of the gospel. You say, well, Daniel, what about, what about if it's something silly? You know, I... I, there's this thing that other people want me to do. I have the right not to do it. It's kind of a silly thing. I, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head in our culture right now, but, but just imagine there is something, okay? It, it, what about that? Well, that's a good principle. We may need to lay down our rights when it's something silly. You can imagine being Paul, and he's coming into these different cultures, and they have different ideas about when it's the right time to eat and what they should eat and what days they celebrate and how they celebrate the days. And Paul could have said, look, that's, that's silly. I'm not going to I'm not going to engage in that. What does Paul say? All things to all people. 
That's how you eat. That's what I eat. That's what time you eat. That's what time I'm going to eat. That's how. You, that's how you dress. That's how I'm going to dress. Because who cares? I'm, I'm willing to lay down my rights over something silly, not because I think it's right, but because I care about the gospel. You said, "Well, Dan, okay, okay, hold, I get it. I get it. What about? What about if it's something painful to me? <laughs> Do I have to lay down my rights then? Yeah, at times." When it's painful to us, we might have to lay down our rights. Paul has, lays down the right to earn money from the, the church in Corinth. Well, what about if it's unfair? Yeah, sometimes we have to lay down our rights if, it, if it's unfair. Paul, and again, 1 Corinthians 9, there's a double standard. Paul has one standard. These other guys have another. Doesn't matter. He's willing to lay it down. Yeah, but what, Daniel, hold on. One more, Daniel. What if the people are jerks? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 9, the, Cor- the Corinthians were not being very nice to Paul. We may need to lay down our rights to people who don't deserve it for the sake of the gospel. Because we certainly did not deserve Christ laying down his rights for us. Let me encourage you this morning to follow Christ, to follow Timothy to deeper ministry on the path of self-denial and sacrifice. You have incredible potential for living a life for God's glory. The things that God might do through you and through this church in central Illinois and throughout the world into eternity are beyond our ability to even comprehend. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, the potential is beyond our ability to comprehend. And yet, we do not get from potential to fruitful ministry apart from sacrifice, from laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third principle here, third third thing to think about is a fruitful ministry, verses four and five. What God does through Timothy is is incredible as we go through the rest of the book of of Acts and, and into the New Testament. And it begins in verse 4. It says they, they go on their way through this region, and they talk about the decisions that have been reached by the council. It says they delivered to them for observance the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And then what happens? It says that the, church, the churches are strengthened the faith, that there's a, a deepening of the faith of the believers as they deliver these, these things for them to observe, and, and here's how you live in obedience to God. And then more people are drawn into the church, and so there's this immediate fruitfulness of the ministry that would not have happened apart from Timothy's willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Now, why? Why does this type of ministry require sacrifice? Why can't I just pursue my own interests and God? Why does it require this, this type of, of sacrifice? I think it's the, the answer is that God uses sacrifice to reveal the value that we place upon him and help us to find our, our joy in him. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure, this treasure in jars of clay. And, and there are times that God in his grace just brings us to a point where, where we have to recognize, okay, this this body that I have is a, is a jar of clay. 
the, the last couple of weeks dealing kind of with, with the illness and stuff, just, oh, this, this body is a jar of clay. I, I really, I, I love smelling things. I don't know. Uh, and people would talk to me about COVID and say, one of the things you, you can't smell, and I'd be like, what's that like? We well, can't smell, but how? You know, I don't, now I understand. Oh, it's just you can't smell anything. It's not that complicated, but very disorienting. You know? my, my body's fragile. Just, just little tiny things can, can just set the whole course of, of, of your life in a different direction. We're, we're jars of clay, but what do we have within these jars of clay? We have a treasure and, and God calls us to sacrifice. Listen to what Paul says. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And then he says in verse 16, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, again, beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what God does in his grace through sacrifice. Over and over again, God brings us to the fork in the road. Then he says, here's this thing that you can have over here that's temporary, and here's me. And through sacrifice, we continually choose him. Okay, here's your, here's your career, and here's me. Okay, I, I choose you. And what have we just shown? We've shown to ourselves and the world that God is of greater value. Okay, here's this, here's this family member whose respect you, 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 and, and esteem you desire, and here's me. Who are you going to choose? And we choose God. Okay, here, here's, this, here's this, uh, th- this neighborhood relationship you have. Here's, here's me, and here's this relationship, and, and we choose God. And as we do it over and over again, it proclaims the greatness of the treasure that we have in Christ. And so God in his grace calls us to sacrifice so that we and others around us can continue to grasp the beauty of who Jesus is, the treasure that we have in Christ, and can prepare us to receive the eternal glory that we have in him. Next week, we're going to discuss the ministry to which God has called you. What I want to do as we close this morning is just call you to embrace the sacrifice that that God has called you to embrace. To say, okay, uh, I I don't know exactly maybe all the ministry that God has for me, but I'm, I'm willing by God's grace to embrace whatever sacrifice he has for me because I believe the potential that I have in Christ and I believe the the fruit that my ministry can have in eternity and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to pursue God in his glory. A willingness to humble ourselves to sacrifice for others leads us to deeper and more joyful ministry in the Lord, both now and to eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for the ability that we have in your son Jesus to, to know you. We pray that, that by your kindness we would continue to grasp what is the, uh, the, unsur- the, the, the unimaginable beauty of, of an eternal relationship with you. Father, call, cause us to embrace the sacrifices you, you have brought into our lives to make, that over and over again we could choose you above anything else. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.